Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and today I'm doing a little bit of a different episode. We're going to dive in just kind of by myself, some research and some stuff I was digging into with the uh, recent news about Centene and the Medicaid space and kind of the lawsuits they've settled with Ohio and Mississippi this week. Uh, They're a huge company. They actually cover over 25 and a half million lives and manage care across the United States. And there's some pretty shocking news with kind of what come down this week. So uh, for those of you who don't follow, I will include links and for all the things referenced here in the show notes. And these are kind of key to understanding this. But the Ohio Attorney General, Dave Yost, actually settled with Centene and essentially a lawsuit he filed against them. And he settled for $88.3 million. And this was settled in under three months from when it was even initiated. So this is pretty huge because that's a lot of money for a state to get back without really any fight being put up from Centene other than a few verbal things they put out there and things in the press. And then Mississippi also received $55.5 million that in a lawsuit that was filed from their Attorney General, Lynn Fitch, and Auditor Shad White. And that all happened this week just with Centene. So that's only two states. And a f- small fraction, I think roughly like maybe 10% or so of the, uh, a little bit over 10%, probably like 20% or 15% of the total lives they actually cover. So that's a lot of money that's moving back and forth there, $143 million in total, uh, which really isn't much because they're a $111 billion company and ranked 42nd on the Forbes 500 list. They actually didn't issue a formal apology at all, so that's kind of interesting. That's just something that, uh, in fact, the Ohio Attorney General Dave Yo said, I will accept an apology note in the form of a large check with a dollar sign and many zeros after it. So I don't necessarily blame him here for how little work he had to do for such an easy win, but that should really kind of show you what's going on in some of the healthcare space here with spending, whether it be in PBMs or it's in just insurance in general or some of the shell games of how they're moving money and how much the states and even federal government are going to get back from that. Uh, Dave Yost even cited that a large chunk, if not I think over half of that money, of the $88.3 million he got back, is going to go to the federal government just because they're the ones who front a lot of the Medicaid costs across states with the Medicaid expansion especially. So that's a lot of money that can go back just to, especially with all these things that are being spent these days with COVID relief and stimulus packages. I thought that was a, a pretty huge win there. Mississippi, being a smaller state than Ohio, getting back $55.5 million is also a huge number given that they also have a large Medicaid population. Um, and just kind of for the record here, I didn't find this on Ohio, but I found it in Mississippi. They actually paid Centene over $1.1 billion from 2016 to 2020. And Centene's been growing since then. So like the 2020 numbers are much bigger than the 2016 numbers when you look at the amount of lives they cover. Uh, So this uh, roughly amounts to, for just the state of Mississippi, a 5% fine of their total business revenue, which is pretty crazy that $55.5 million is only 5% to me. But maybe that's just because I'm a pharmacist on the bench here and those numbers are just always shocking to me. Uh, And again, Centene is the largest managed Medicaid contractor. Again, they cover 25.5 million lives and this is a fraction of that. And they've already given up 143 million dollars and in fact they actually put aside 1.1 billion for these lawsuits so from what i'm seeing here is that this looks like it's just them kind of admitting this is the cost of doing business and that's pretty scary because the healthcare shouldn't be full of that much fraud and that much like illegalities that people are suing and winning with basically no contest from the people they're suing here and they're not even admitting guilt probably because that would make them uh, in direct violation of some of the Medicare or bigger contracts they have in other states. So I want to kind of dive in here about some of the notes about this case. Um, again, 
this kind of started from a 2018 like report that the Columbus Dispatch put out, which if you aren't subscribed to Columbus Dispatch and you like this podcast, please go subscribe. I think it's like a dollar right now for the first six months, and they do amazing reporting on healthcare and especially pharmacy benefits. Uh, but it started with their side effects series, uh, kind of looking into Buckeye Community Health Plan here with Centene. And it really involved two companies, Involve Health, Evolve, which is their PBM, and HealthNet to handle the pharmacy benefits. Even though Buckeye is kind of already contracted, hired CVS Caremark as a pharmacy benefit manager, it was basically like dual fees for those two companies, right? So CVS Caremark was also benefiting from this. Officials said when they looked into this that the administrator and the manager were essentially paid for doing the same jobs. So it was like a dual payment for services. And I think that's why this got settled so quick was because it was just one of those things that it was open and shut case. But in Ohio, it looks like Centene manages five Medicaid plans. And that's a lot because that's pretty much all of them we have. Uh, and when you think about that, that's like a huge middle manager duplication, right? When they're managing five different plans and all the amount of pay you have to use and money to cover people to manage this, even the, even someone just to go clean the floor, right? Like the janitor at the place. So that's still a lot of money to to spend that you could really kind of streamline if you had one PBM or pharmacy benefit manager that really took care of that, which is the way Ohio is currently going. It looks like that should happen soon, but there's still obviously always some sort of legal issues when it comes to those large contracts. Um, but hopefully Gainwell Technologies will get that and then that will get approved and we'll see some major cost reductions here from a lot of the projections we've seen from the budget office. Um, so Teen actually approached the state uh, kind of from what Attorney General David Yo said that what's it going to take to resolve this matter? So it sounds like to me that everything that's been involved with this, they've basically said, yeah, we did wrong. And this is just two states. They operate in a lot more states than just that, obviously, since the population of Ohio, Mississippi isn't even 25 and a half million. So there's a lot more states that need to look into this sort of thing. And this is something that kind of a call to action for pharmacists where you can really you know, step up, reach out to your state attorney general's office or whoever you think you can to kind of show some of these things that really highlight kind of the dirty side of this and really hurts our profession and our ability to provide care to, to patients. So kind of moving on to Centene's side with this, again, they manage 25.5 million Americans, which is roughly 6.7% of the U.S. population, which is up from 152 in 2019. So they've really, really aggressively expanded, picking up well care and some other uh, specialty pharmacies in 2020. Uh, here's a quote from their chairman, president, and CEO. It says, 2020 was a year when Centene demonstrated the strength of our diversified enterprise and our operational excellence as we delivered strong top and bottom line growth while supporting all of our stakeholders. And that's from Michael F. Niedorf. And it's pretty interesting he says that because they did deliver $5 per share profit in 2020, uh, which is up from $4.43 a share in 2019. And this was after they acquired Panther RX, which is especially pharmacy, which I've heard good things about, but we all know specialty is the fastest growing area, both in dollars and everything in pharmacy. It's also an area that seems to be pretty rife with some huge spread drug prices. When you look at things like Imatinib that can kind of be forced to go specialty or Humira, things like that, where they're, even though the, the price is up, that margin, even if it's a percent, is just so huge when it comes to something like Humira or Enbrel. Uh, it looks like they also had an adjusted expense ratio of 9.7% in the fourth quarter, but that was after they acquired what looked like WellCare and some other acquisitions. So even though they had increased costs, they still had increased profit in 2020. And it, if I did the math right, and I double-checked this with their annual report, they still profited $2.896 billion in 2020. So they made $3 billion in a year almost, 
And so the set aside 1.1 billion for these fines really is nothing since a lot of these issues were going on for years on end with this, with Centene and some of the other pharmacy benefit managers and Medicaid managed care plans for Medicaid. So this is something that's really, to me, should be something that people should dive into. And I kind of don't think these fines are maybe enough because what's the incentive if it's only going to knock your profit down a little bit, even after you keep growing, but yet at the same time, you know, you're just cost doing business. Here you go. We're going to make more money in the back end. And so I thought that was pretty interesting, which I know a lot of people then think, well, what's the politics of this, right? Like, obviously this is some business and it involves politics and contracting, but you know, they're growing pretty rapidly. What's, what's the deal with this? Well, they are growing rapidly and most of these lawsuits are for smaller populations than they manage now. So when you keep this in mind, right, like I said, Mississippi paid them in about a four year span over 1.1 billion and you know, it looks like Centene is growing almost exponentially since then. So that could be pretty big when we're looking at kind of what power and clout they might have as far as dollar figures go. So I pulled up a little bit of a document here, uh, opensecrets.com, amazing website when it comes to kind of looking who donates money and to where, right? So I think that's always important because one of my things is you should always follow the money, no matter what you're in. That's just good business, good sense for anything. But Centene was ranked 148th overall of the 21,000 companies that Open Secrets actively tracks and looks at their political donations. I thought that was pretty big since, honestly, they should just be serving a Medicaid population. Why are they one of, nearly one of the top 100, 200 companies for donations? And it looks like in the 2020 cycle, they gave over $4.6 million in campaign contributions with their, with their affiliates and things like that. A lot of that was... Uh, individuals and people who gave donations. So that is something to keep in, keep in mind. But in 2020, they gave more than double what they gave in 2018 and 2016. Part of that could be to try and sway people when you see some of these lawsuits that have been coming out for a few years or some time. I'm, again, I'm not necessarily a political expert when it comes to that or a lobbying expert, if you will. But I, I think given the pressure that we've seen put on some of these health insurers, some of these PBMs, some of these managed care groups, that's a pretty big number. And over a million of it was given, of the 4.6 million they gave was to political action committees or PACs. So they're a big player in this field when it comes to donations. Uh, they gave predominantly to, it looks like their largest donations were to the Republican National Committee, the National Republican Senate Committee, and the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. So they some of their biggest donors were all on the red side of the aisle, if you will. But interestingly enough, they did give six times more money, roughly, to Joe Biden than to Donald Trump. So it kind of bucks that trend a little bit here. I'm not sure if that's something that they think healthcare for all, they can really kind of use that to make more money, expand their care. I'm not exactly sure. But that's just something that I just did take a note of that kind of seemed juxtaposed to some of their largest donors, uh, like the Republican committees there. They also rank 79th overall in total money spent on lobbying. So out of over 5,500 companies that Open Secrets tracks, they were 79th. So that's pretty high. Top 100 lobbying company here, really getting on the upper echelon for what they're spending money on. They average over the last two full years, 2020, 2019, roughly $5.5 million a year spent on lobbying efforts. So when you look at this, and I always kind of look at the return on investment, right? So if they're spending $5.5 million and they're willing to cut $1.1 billion that probably means that they're cutting that 1.1 billion and the lobbying efforts will keep people from asking for more money or fighting them further. So that could be something where they're looking at this as an investment of five and a half million dollars to really reduce the fines they could get down the road as it could be with some of the campaign donations. Uh, again, I'm not 
the expert here on this. I'm a pharmacist who just kind of dabbles in this. So I think it's something that kind of can be brought to light. And I think that that's really important that we do show things like this because although attorney generals try and I generally believe do what is right for the state, they do have a cost benefit too, right? They have more things to tackle. They have more things that make headlines, get people to vote. Pharmacy benefits rarely drive people to the polls, although drug prices do and people don't fully understand how or why those are so high. So this is something that maybe will start getting some more traction as we've seen it really kind of get driven by any number of states and even up to the Supreme Court. Some major news with this recently. So I think this might be like a return on investment thing for them that they're just looking at this as, hey, we're going to cut our losses by investing here because, again, they gave double in 2020 what they gave in 2018 and 2016 with a lot of these efforts. Uh, so I think that's that's pretty big as far as what they're doing here. But again, back to the attorney general's office, they have more thing, more things to fight. And I think that when you're looking at that from their perspective is if they can just throw a lawsuit out and easily pick up 50, 75, 88, maybe a hundred million for a bigger state dollars back and it costs them under a million, that's a good return on investment for them too. So I think there's a lot of money that is kind of influencing some of this, obviously, but it's also time and effort, right? If you just throw a lawsuit and get that, I would do that every day without thinking about it. Whereas a long drawn out fight could cost exponentially more and not get an exponential reward on that. So something to think about when we see these attorney generals taking victory laps. I, I'm never going to say that they did the wrong thing by accepting $88 million back in in money for taxpayers. But I do think that, that is something that, you know, just people are kind of thinking about that and thinking, hey, if we think it could be more, that'd be something that they could definitely share and pass on kind of a call to action, if you will, here. Um, so prediction time for me, I think a lot of states are going to start moving to sue some of these managed care organizations or PBMs. I, I'm not going to say I'm for it or against it. I'm just kind of bringing some facts to light here. I want to be very, very clear with that. I think it's an easy political win for them to say, hey, look, these people were abusing the Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare health system, and we're bringing tax money back to you guys. It's easy wins, an easy victory lap for everybody. And Centene might look at that too as, hey, we don't want this to get dug, dug into any deeper, so we're just going to throw money at this to make it go away, which is pretty clear from what they said to Attorney General Dave Yost here in Ohio. I thought that was pretty amazing that he just came out and said that that's what they told him. So something to look into here. I think that some states are going to lag on this, uh, particularly I'm going to call out Rhode Island and Missouri. They're usually behind when it comes to some of these pharmacy benefit managers or these managed care organizations just because of they have so many jobs tied into this. So Centene's based in Missouri, if I remember correctly, and so is Express Scripts. So they've got a lot of people there and a lot of clout and a lot of jobs on the line if you're talking about cuts there that could end up backfiring politically. I know that's something we don't want to think about as pharmacists. We're always like, hey, where are the guidelines? But something to think about. It might take a little more call to action in some of those states. And obviously Rhode Island, home to CVS could be a huge thing there when we're looking at this. And I haven't dug into their financials yet with some of this, but they tend to lag behind when it comes to PBM reform, just in general. And from what some independents I've heard in the state say, they really feel it's a, almost an impossible uphill battle to fight that. But we did think about PBMs in general a year or two ago and look at what kind of progress we made. So something to really think about here. I think it's also important to see who they back in those states and in other states to see what happens, right? Like if there's an attorney general running for election and all of a sudden he gets a huge contribution, maybe he won't dig into that because it'll be politically not beneficial to him or her. So in summary, I'm happy to see that there's some justice being done here. Honestly, I think it could or should be more. I think definitely there's, I honestly think you could probably double these and have a pretty easy case when you start diving into some of the details, but I do see that it might take 10 times the work to get that money back. It might take 50 times the work. I'm not a lawyer and I don't 
to pretend to be one. But I think that's something that we could watch out here. And these fines could really get ratcheted up as you see people maybe dive into it more. But since it's settled, some of these early states might not get as much. I do think Ohio with 88 million is a heck of a number to pull in there and something that might really set the bar for other states. Personally, I really do think there is more digging into this. I know it might come at a cost, but I really think it would be something that kind of should go into the higher levels like Congress and the uh, United States Senate just because why not, right? Like if they're going to abuse just the Medicaid managed care, what about or Medicaid, 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 what about Medicare? What about other things that we're seeing here, right? And we have seen that obviously these companies are willing to dabble in that lobbying and into other efforts to kind of line pockets there of campaigns to make sure that probably they get their way, you know, that they're getting someone who supports them. But I really think that, you know, as somebody, now that we're seeing two pharmacists and a pharmacy owner in Congress, these are people who, why the heck not? I mean, we've had one of them on this podcast who's come out and said he's willing to work across the aisle to kind of expose some of the stuff because he knows how much it's hurting our economy and our healthcare system and how we deliver that to pe- people in this country. And if we have to pay more frontline healthcare workers and, you know, maybe do some of the student loans for them and things like that to get them on the front lines, to take care of people, that's probably a lot better way to spend your money than to send it directly to wall street. Again, I think this might be a huge loss because we're talking probably billions of dollars that might really hurt some of the wall street reporting numbers and might not make them too happy. But I think it'll definitely help pave main street and do those basic things for people who are on the front lines and people who need the healthcare. So anyway, that's the episode for this week, folks. Uh, I hope you guys can listen to this and have a little bit different take. If you like it, share it, leave a five-star review, but as always, thanks for listening to the political pharmacist podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.